Welcome back to the Utah Shakespeare Festival's Play On Podcast. I'm your host, Frank Hans. Today we sit down with the festival's properties and display director, Ben Homan, and assistant director, Mariel Beneau. Both are a part of the festival's full-time administrative staff. This is Ben's 22nd season at the festival. He has provided his expertise for a number of programs and productions over the years. He has worked as run crew, crew head, props artisan, prop supervisor, and his current position as properties and display director. He has worked as the Shakespeare in the Schools tour designer for 10 years and has been the Playmakers scenic designer for six years. Ben also worked for four years at Actors Theatre of Louisville. This is Marielle's 18th season at the festival. Marielle also lends her knowledge and experience here at the festival, holding such positions as acquisitions manager, props artisan, prop shopper, crew head, and her current position as assistant properties and display director. She has also worked at the Dallas Theatre Center as master carpenter and scenic and props carpenter. Well, welcome. Thanks so much for coming in today to talk with us. It's great to have you back this season. And although I didn't get to interview you last year, I know it was an interview that people really enjoyed listening to. And we thought we'd have you back and, you know, make you regulars on this (laughs) podcast here. Um, We'd like to start by just having you tell us how how you ended up here at Utah Shakespeare Festival. I ended up here, I was in grad school, and we had someone come in and do a little, like, master class, basically, on props, and he had been working here, and my professor was pushing us to go work in summer stocks, and so he said, hey, you know, why don't you talk to him, and he, I don't know, I always believe he put in a good word for me, he may not have talked to anyone, but um, anyway, the production manager called and offered me a crew job, and I came and worked on crew, and have been here ever since, <laughs> every summer, ever since. Uh-huh. So, uh, I similar story. Uh, I was an undergrad, um, and one of my design professors was actually designing in the Randall, um, and I was looking for a job. And so you should apply to Utah Shakes as crew, and uh, so I did. And I was on crew for a year, and I was a crew head for two years, and then I started as a props artist in the Randall in '97, um, and then in '98 I became the prop master in the Adams, um, and then worked up from there. And now he rules the world. <laughs> Just the prop world at Utah that, Shakes. That's the only world that matters for us sometimes. So. Um, how did you each get involved with theater? Um, I was uh, 10 or 11, and my older sister, who's a year older than me, was babysitting me, um, as my mother said. And a friend of hers was in a community theater show um, and wanted us to come see it. Um, and so my sister drug me along. It was the best little whorehouse in Texas. Um, uh, uh, and so I went, and I was like, well, this is really cool. And so I auditioned for the next show, and I got a two-line part. Um, and I remember Mama. Uh, and then I was in a couple of shows. I was Christopher Wren in Mousetrap, and I was uh, Eugene Morris Jerome in Brighton Beach. Um, but I really liked doing all the backstage uh, stuff. Uh, I helped on all those shows backstage as well, and then I was like, that's way more cool. Uh, and so I started doing backstage stuff, and they had an old – Carbon Arc movie projector that I helped run on the weekends when we weren't doing shows and stuff and, and started doing it in high school and kind of went from there. was not a good player of sports. So <laughs> theater, theater was the direction to Don't go in. Don't use the past tense there. <laughs> <laughs> Turning I, it over to you. Yeah, yay. Um, I didn't really do theater in high school. We didn't really have much theater. We were players of sports. Um, football is big in New Mexico. 
Uh, so I'd started in college. I took a class that was just an intro class. You needed an arts credit. And you got extra credit if you worked on a show in some way. And I was like, well, extra credit. So I auditioned for a show, and that went really badly. Oh, my gosh. I don't do well in front of people. It was It was horrible. So then I worked in the shops. And it was a lot of fun. And they said, hey, do you want a job doing this? You know, a student work job. And I was like, yeah. So started doing that and decided that there are enough doctors in the world. I'm going to do theater. <laughs> so <laughs> did you want to become a doctor? Before? Well, I was I was pre-professional pre-med, which means, you know, you learn all the sciences so you could go to med school if you wanted to. I wanted to be a pathologist. I wanted to, like, um, examine all the little bits of human tissue and whatnot and then I was like this is hard and it's boring and theater is much more fun <laughs> so started doing theater and then I decided that I wasn't ready for the real world so I went to grad school and did some more theater and then learned more about props and now that's what we do yeah awesome well for for people who didn't hear last year's podcast I wonder if you might just fill us in or remind us about each of the jobs that you do here Sure, I'm the props and, and dis- remember we only have a little bit of time. <laughs> right, right. Uh, I'm the props and display director, which means ultimately all the props, as well as display stuff, which is a whole other thing. But um, all the props for all the shows ultimately become sort of my responsibility. Um, I generally prop master um, uh, one of the two theaters in the summer, and I do the fall shows, as well as our off-season educational programming shows. Um, uh, and then we hire another prop master generally to do the other theater. The last couple of years, I've been doing the Randall. We've had a, a lady from St. Louis who's been doing the, the Adams Theater for us. Um, but, uh, yeah, ultimately the buck stops with me as far as props go. And then I, I'm the assistant properties and display director. But basically I um, step in when he has to go off to do things and make sure the shop's running okay and stuff like that. And then I do all of our shopping, basically. I, I spend other people's money. It's pretty great. But any t- any materials we need to build anything, I get that. I take stuff to and from rehearsals. I buy you know all the paint, all the lumber, and then I do lots of stuff on eBay and stuff like that. Getting actual items like for South Pacific, we needed a bunch of military stuff. So online shopping is a godsend for us because you know it's Cedar City and the Army Navy surplus stores are bountiful around here. So. <laughs> <laughs> lots of lots of online shopping and then I also then that means I also have to do all the paperwork and all of that budget kind of stuff keeping track of our money and things like that so I, I do a lot of different things and then in the fall oh and then in the fall yeah there is the rest of my job in the fall then I do that and I also build a bunch of stuff because <laughs> there's just the two of us in the fall so he kind of goes to meetings and deals with all the personalities and then the two of us build all the stuff and make it all happen Wow, I didn't realize it shrunk to yep. a staff of two for the yes. fall season. There's just two shows. So two people can totally do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> just like, six, no. no In just mind. a couple days, but right? Don't, don't do yeah. the math. It hurts your brain. Yeah. Well, it would be great to hear you talk about this season's shows because we're in the middle of the 2015 season, and uh, and I'm sure you've got some stories to tell. So... What what's been interesting about the about the properties process this season? Um, all the shows were kind of interesting. Um, uh, starting with Shrew, um, getting the lanterns for the Bianca wedding at the end of the show. They came from uh, Vietnam, um, and uh, took a while to get here, and were sort of lost in the Vietnam Postal Service for 
um, several months. Um, they almost we were nervous they weren't going to show up on time, but they finally did. Um, uh, Lear. I learned a lot about the Vietnamese postal tracking system. <laughs> it's not very good. Is what we basically learned. <laughs> well, if you don't know Vietnamese, it's very hard to do. So. How did you deal with that then? Did you have um, someone? Help we, or... we did no. We did a lot of communications with the seller, who then told me this is where you go to look for stuff, and I knew what to plug in where, and it it did show it in English and Vietnamese, but there were lots of things that I probably could have learned more about that I didn't know what the words meant. So we figured it out, but it was an adventure in computering. <laughs> uh, Lear is interesting uh, in a prop world. Uh, we because they sort of used Game of Thrones as kind of a reference. Um, uh, we built almost every single thing for that show. It was almost nothing that we pulled from stock. Um, so everything was sort of custom for that show. We normally, in the Atoms, I would say pull between 50 and 60% out of stock for any given show and build a little bit. So that was a huge build for us compared to a typical show outside. Um, and then with um, the third show, Henry. Henry. <laughs> um, Henry, because the scenery basically stayed pretty much the same as last year, um, all the new locations, the Archbishop scenes, the bedroom scenes uh, with the king, and also sort of the countryside scenes in Act 2. Um, props kind of helped sort of make those scenes happen by new props. We built a large bed for Henry um, and pulled an old cart and sort of gussied it up for the outdoor scenes and stuff. So props was sort of integral making sure that those new locations had identities. a home and identities yeah. within the existing scenery from last year. Um, Green Show uh, was sort of the fairly typical green show. Josh would not be happy about me saying that. Uh, um, uh, we did build a big wine barrel that we actually have audience participation. They came up and they stomp grapes. Um, we also built a new set of puppets. Um, my wife is making hand motions at me. Um, uh, but we have audience participation. They come up and they stomp grapes in a wine barrel and then we see which team wins. Um, so it was kind of a fun project to figure out how to make all of that work. They don't actually stomp grapes. That would be messy. Um, uh, and then they the, do make... They do Grape make wine. Juice, they so. do. It's magic. Yeah. Theater magic. Um, <laughs> and then the Randall, um, all three shows over there are, are very different from each other. Amadeus is very opulent. Um, um, and so there's a lot of detail. Like all the furniture is very highly decoratively carved. There's lots of gilding, um, lots of fancy little pastries and cakes that we made. Um, uh, and then mm. South Pacific is very military. Mario spent months trying to track down very specific World War II radios and walkie-talkies and crates and all kinds of things. Um, where did you Where did you find that stuff ultimately? A lot of it, it there are Army Navy surplus stores online. There's it's amazing how many people are selling that stuff online, and a lot of it's kind of like repro stuff. But a, a few things we got were very authentic. We got off of eBay. eBay is amazing with what people are selling on there. And I then know. we actually found a couple things in town off of Craigslist. Really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. So, dressing items and stuff like did that. you put the call out or did people just have them up for sale i, I just do a lot of looking yeah no i didn't we oh, just interesting went internet spelunking basically and you never know what comes up so i would imagine the fact that they don't actually many of the props don't have to be practical in that show Helps. the radio doesn't have to work yes. and things like that yeah, that makes that, them a lot uh, cheaper yeah because <laughs> <laughs> most people want to buy the stuff that actually still functions or things like yeah. that so we can buy the the cheaper broken pieces and, and yeah. prop them up yeah uh, and then, uh, oh, Charlie's Aunt. Charlie's Aunt was a huge show for us. Uh, three acts, all of them really highly dressed. Um, lots of paintings and knickknacks and, and stuff and all high Victorian, 1890s. Um, so we built a lot of stuff for that show. We pulled a lot of stuff for that show. We borrowed some stuff uh, from a theater up north. Um, 
and managed to get all that pulled together. Uh, that show was like down to the wire. There were just so many pieces and parts and, and trying to make all the scene changes happen within our intermission shifts and everything. We literally were the last day our staff was here that uh, they worked July 3rd, which was opening day of Charlie's Aunt. We had a 6 a.m. call to, to dress some stuff on that set to make sure that it was all done and ready for, for the audience. So, um, but it's, it's, it's a, all through, I mean, all the shows are, are beautiful in their own way. Um, some of them very distressed, some of them really polished, like Amadeus. There's not a speck of dirt on anything. They, they polished the pianoforte twice a week. But, um, that we built, mind you. We, we did, built we did pianos. Build, we did, yeah, we built two, two pianos. pianos. Box piano for Act Three of Charlie's Aunt and the Pianoforte. Pianoforte is kind of a an amazing. It's got a full stereo sound system built into it. Wow! Um, the first preview, uh, the character Amadeus sat down and played a piece of music, and the audience applauded. Um, I think believing <laughs> that he had actually just played uh, the actual music, um, but uh, it's got a stereo sound system built into it with a car battery and a radio receiver, um, and so we just Speakers we send all the the music to it electronically. Um, and uh, it, the the guts, all the electronics that we put in, actually weigh more than the pianoforte itself. Wow! Um, yeah. It's quite a it's quite a piece of work, and they have to charge it between their giant cables. They have to bring in and plug it in and charge it between <laughs> every performance and and stuff. So um, I can imagine it getting jump started someday yeah. when it doesn't work. Right? <laughs> Pretty much. Um, what what is each of your role in the design process then? So. Thinking, I mean, maybe we can use 2016 as an example. We've got some shows that have been selected. What 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 happens next in your process then? Oh goodness. Um. So basically, what happens is that we we have the titles. Um. We get copies of the script and we read them and kind of go through and highlight all the the notes that talk about props. Um. Those the thing that a lot of people don't know when they read a script is is all those sort of almost all the stage directions like it describes the house or the setting or things like that are generally the notes that the stage manager took at the original production, the first production. Um, so when it gets published, they use all of those notes. So not sometimes it's the playwright who makes those decisions. A lot of times it's the first production. And so you write all that stuff down and you think about it, but you don't necessarily have to like stick to all of those things exactly. So when you get your designer on board, they kind of have a lot of ideas and suggestions. And so you start working with them to figure out, you know, are we going traditional? Are we doing it in the period that it was written? Are we going to do something different? What's the director will often have an opinion about that. Um, and then, so we have our sort of our list that we create based on the script and the actions of the script. You know, they're going to pass this letter from this person to this person or this ring or, you know, Shakespeare's all about letters and, and jewelry, um, uh, especially <laughs> in the, all the, the comedies. Um, but uh, so we make our list and then the designer kind of makes a list as well uh, based on the design. So they come up with a list of like all the furniture, the major dressing pieces that are going to actually fit into the design that they're doing. We sort of combine those two lists at a set of meetings that we have um, normally in December when we bring everybody to Cedar City for a couple of days. And at the end of those meetings, we have to budget the show. Um, we have a, I have a general idea what the shows are probably going to cost after having read them. But once we get the entire list, we can go, oh, there's a lot more furniture in this show, so it's going to be more expensive, or they're going to break a lot of stuff, or Tear up every letter, every show. And when you say you know what it's roughly going to cost, that's from just years of having done this and yeah. kind of look at of it. And you... <laughs> here at the festival, knowing a lot of the directors, so they'll say, "Oh, you know, Brad Carroll's going to direct this show. What's going to cost less? Um, because he's really good about you know, well, what do you, what do you have? Let's let's make it work. You know, it also depends on the designer sometimes. Sometimes as the designer, yeah. Some um, designers are if uh, you have it in stock, I don't want to use it because it's been in a show or uh huh. 
or the look is something like we did Boing Boing was all um, 60s, which we don't have a lot of stock because we do a lot of Elizabethan. So that was something we knew was going to cost more just because we didn't have things in stock. Yeah. So it, it depends. On yeah, a there's, lot a lot, there's a lot of factors. But he has a good ballpark of what a show's going to run. Um, plus, I know what they'll give me. Uh, <laughs> 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 I know that I'm not going to get more than $3,000 for a, for a, an Adam show. So we sort of have a budget idea in mind, and then we work with the designer to kind of start going through our stock and finding out you know what we have that might work that they like and what modifications might need to be done. Because even if we have it, doesn't mean it's perfect. You know, there's still going to be painting or reupholstering or restaining. So that does there is a cost associated with it. But we're not even to buy the piece, so it's a much it's a much smaller cost, and a lot of it falls on the labor side rather than the the, the supply side. But we kind of work through all that, um, uh, and come to a point where by early April, we kind of have a really strong idea of most of the large elements for the show, where they're coming from, whether we're buying them, building them pulling them out of stock, what needs to be done to them. Um, and so then from late March, early April, we start ordering a lot of stuff, supplies, um, parts, getting them all here. Um, our staff uh, starts rehearsal the same day, the, or starts building the same day the actors do. So May 12th this year was you know, when we started. Um, and we basically have the same eight weeks the actors do to get everything ready. Um, we actually have six weeks because by the time they get on stage, everything's supposed to be complete. Um, so this year we had 39 build days um, from the first day of rehearsal till uh, we had an audience. Um, and so magic happens in 39 days. <laughs> and we produce, this year we produced almost 2,000 individual items between, wow. the, between the six shows and the green show. Um, and then we open. <laughs> and then we fix them. And, <laughs> and then we them fix, fix them. them. <laughs> yes. Yeah, talk about that process because it seems like you know, we see the play once often as an audience and we assume that everything works and it goes right and you never have to replace anything, but that's obviously not true. Right, and <laughs> we, we want to make sure that the person who sees the show the first day sees the same show as the person who sees the show the last day. So there's a lot of maintenance that goes into just keeping things polished, keeping things painted so the dings don't show. Um, but there are always, well, there are things you know are going to be broken, in the shows, we call those consumables. So you budget that in and you plan for, we're going to need 80 bottles of champagne because they open one every night kind of thing or whatever. Um, but then there's also the things that happen like uh, we had an accident with Charlie's aunt and a piece of furniture that we'll let Ben talk about. But things happen and then, you, you know, you have to, we have people on crew. There's a run crew, which are the people that make things happen during the show and then they change the show into the next show and do maintenance so they do all the touch-ups and they'll fix things like um they broke a, a leg off a chair was that in charlie's on as well mm -hmm. and so we have we we know for shows like charlie's on and taming the shrew we have backups for things because we're like okay you're gonna be really rough with this stuff something may happen during a show so we have backups for as much as we can but you need to repair the other one so then it becomes the backup kind of thing so there's a lot of that kind of stuff that happens so if it's something that is a little major, more major than the crew wants to deal with. Ben and I will fix it. But a lot of stuff just gets handled by them. They do all the, the minor touch-ups and stuff. But in Charlie's aunt. Uh, about a week and a, I guess about a week and a half ago, um, I got a call uh, or a text during the show. Uh, we get a report after every show that lists all the damage um, uh, or things that have broken or buttons that have flown off or whatever. Um, uh, in 22 years here, I don't think we've had a day 
where every show has been perfect and there hasn't been something that's needed to be taken care of. Um, uh, so um, I, mean, I get a text during the show from the stage manager, and she's like, um, right after the show, you need to come look at the, the Act 1 piano. Um, and it's never good when you get a text during the show because <laughs> they should be calling the show and paying attention to what's going on on stage. So obviously something had happened that was, that was pretty major. And of course, with our rotation, um, if that show runs in the afternoon, it also plays the next night. So we basically have about 24 hours to do any like repairs. So we get over to the theater, and we have this lovely Victorian uh, upright piano that was donated to us a number of years ago. And it's got this beautiful carved fretwork panel uh, on the front of it. And one of the actors threw his hat toward the coat rack um, and missed by about five feet and put his hat through the front of this fretwork and busted out about a six-inch by four-inch chunk oh, no. of this beautiful, really delicate fretwork. And played this little Ziploc baggie for me full of all the pieces and parts. Um, uh, and so the whole front fretwork panel actually lifts off the piano. So we grabbed that, took it back to the shop. Um, it was fabric-backed. We realized that that wasn't very supportive. Um, and the fretwork was really delicate. So we actually removed the fabric. We cut a piece of, of plywood that was the same size as what the fabric had been. We actually painted it to look like fabric. Um, glued the fretwork that still existed down to that panel. And then took the little Ziploc baggie of pieces and rebuilt as much as we could. Um, puzzle, puzzle, puzzle. There were a few little chunks that were missing. And so when we got done, we took a brown Sharpie and sort of <laughs> filled in the gaps. Um, and from five feet away, you, you can't tell. And now it's supported. So if they were to push against it or, or something else were to hit it or whatever, we wouldn't have that kind of damage occur. We hadn't even occurred to us that that might happen um, uh, until it did. Um, but now we've done something so that hopefully it'll survive and, and uh, will be a good stock piece uh, going forward for other shows as well. But that kind of stuff happens more often than we'd like to admit. Not just props costumes you know buttons fly off or seams rip or um and scenery you know doors all of a sudden don't hinge correctly you know especially in the outdoor theater with the weather things will yeah. swell or shrink things and so stick. doors don't work as well as they should or things like that so there's maintenance going on on all the shows all the time painting you know scuff marks on the floor from furniture or actor shoes or whatever so the painters are constantly in there touching things up and uh, making sure that every show looks brand spanking new yeah. <laughs> it, it takes, takes a lot of work. It takes a lot it of work, lot especially of work. with the rep. You know, I, I, I do a seminar every week, and I tell people, you know, think about a regional theater. They would take a show like Amadeus, and they would build the set and would sit there for four to six weeks. They would have eight shows a week. They would tear it down. They'd bring the next show in. So building that is one thing. We move Amadeus six times a week. You know, we perform it four times a week. We have to move that set and all the props, you know, constantly. So it has to be built not to just withstand sitting there for six weeks, but being moved six to eight times a week by their crew and by the actors and everything else. So the level of um, work that we put into our build is a lot more than most other theaters because of the repping of the shows. And that adds to the maintenance um, as well because um, of all the wear and tear of just picking it up and putting it down and yeah. All that kind of stuff. So we, it takes a little village to make the festival happen every year. We make covers for the furniture to try to keep them clean and to keep them from rubbing on each other. But, you know, things, I mean, things happen. Yeah. Stuff gets knocked over. There's only so too. much room backstage. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. for all the planning you do, you never know that someone's going to throw a hat through a piano. I mean, you know, right. you think you have everything covered and there's always one more thing. Yeah. So, But not only building the props, but then figuring out how to store them. Like we have giant crystal chandeliers in Amadeus and they all have to be brought down. And so we built plywood boxes that are lined with foam um, that the chandeliers hang in 
systems the way there's like a hanging system so the chandeliers don't actually sit on the floor so all the crystals stay in, attached but you know so we have to fly those chandeliers in and out and store them in these boxes backstage um so yeah beyond what you see there's a lot of stuff we do sort of backstage to try to protect our stuff so there's less less maintenance so there's right. always still some try to make them last longer you talked about having um a, a stock of props as well you actually have a rather substantial shop where there's where there's storage and things from previous years and things you've acquired talk a little bit about that space you know the numbers though. tell them the numbers okay. first so stats are good so we have a six thousand square foot <laughs> warehouse uh, when i started here 22 years ago we had about 26 pieces of furniture most uh for the adams theater um uh, we now have over 800 pieces of furniture um, we add about 30 to 40 pieces a year um uh and we have thousands of hand props, um, all organized by sort of type of product on on rolling carts. Um, we have luggage. We have all kinds of dressing props. We have tons of different kinds of floral and greenery things. Um, and we add to that stock not only by building things or buying things for shows. We also take donations, uh, which are tax deductible. Um, and my <laughs> seminar has helped that. We actually we actually have brought in in the last in the last year alone. We've probably gotten about $75,000 worth of furniture donations. Really? Um, yeah. Wow. We've gotten some amazing, the the chaise that's in Charlie's Aunt, the shaving mirror, um, the um, drum table in Amadeus, um, were all donated by a couple in Sedona, Arizona, um, along with a whole bunch of other stuff that they donated. But those three well, pieces made into this wow. season. Um, a lady in Vegas uh, donated what she thought was a bunch of hardware and casters from her father-in-law who used to repair uh, old casters uh, from the military base and stuff, and they came in this amazing um, vintage uh, army trunk. And so I was like, yes, at some point we will use the casters, but that trunk is going straight to South Pacific <laughs> rehearsal, and it's actually in South Pacific. Um, so um, the seminar has certainly generated a lot of interest in that. Uh, people hadn't thought about, you know, doing that kind of thing. So we add a lot to our stock that way as well. Yeah. And we have one of everything, basically. It's insane. We have a kitchen sink. I mean, we have one of everything. <laughs> and we we have it pretty well organized. I mean, it's hard to get on top of it, but we have this shelving upon shelving, stacks of furniture. We have a lift. You can go up high and get stuff down, lamps and candlesticks and animals and knights and shining armor and just everything. Yeah. And then, yeah, all the carts... He, he knows the furniture, he knows where all that stuff lives and what show it's related to, and I know what all the carts have. You know, you need a silver tray, you need a glass bowl, I know where to pull all those things out. And so between the two of us, we're pretty useful. We're, work, we're working on an inventory system. Right now it's all kind of in our heads, um, which is yeah. great job security at the moment, but we're getting older. Um, so we're working on a computer inventory system that hopefully in about, we're hoping in about two years, everything will be in an online database. So not only so our designers can actually look at it, people that want to rent can actually go online first and come with a list of things they want to see instead of just kind of wandering the aisles. Yeah. Because um, there's once you walk in there, it, it feels a little bit like the end of the Indiana Jones movie where, you know, you just you walk in and there's just row upon row of things. You're like, where's, you know, there's so much to look at. Um, uh, and so we have a good idea of where stuff is and, and it's kind of, we have sort of have areas like the chair area and the upholstered chair area and the couch area. But... Oh, weapons, there, weapons room, too. We do room. have a weapons there's room. There's a large yeah. weapons room. Yeah, it's doing, an Elizabethan theater. <laughs> Shakespeare, doing Shakespeare needs some weapons. <laughs> 53 years, you get a lot of weapons. Um, battle, so, battle, battle, yeah. Um, yeah, but it's a pretty cool, and, and about, I guess the building was built about five years ago. Um, before that, we were in several places kind of all over town, little storage units and, and stuff, and now it's actually on site with our shop and the scene shop. 
So we have 24-7 access, um, and it's right there. If we like something happens, we need to go pull another option or something. You know, it's really we easy. We don't have to, to do drive across now. town. You just go get it. Yeah, yeah. It makes really, it saves a lot of time. It's really great. Makes my job easier because half my job was going to get the stuff to bring it back to the shop so we could work on it to take it back to the theater to be rehearsed with to bring it back to fit. You know, so there's a lot of back and forth. But we have a big truck now and with a lift, I can go do stuff by myself. It's very exciting. <laughs> How do you maintain that, though? Because I imagine as new things come in, maybe you haven't run out of space yet, no, but um, you uh, must have to get rid of things sometimes. We do. Uh, we still have a little bit of space up high, so we're trying to figure out what things are light enough that can go up high. With, and the lift is going to help that a little bit. We can take stuff up on the lift. And there are things we don't use a whole lot. Like we have um, a canoe that we built for a show. Well, it's our little rowboat we built a couple years ago for uh, Great Expectations. Um and it doesn't go out very often on rentals or anything else, so we finally figured out how to get that up on a high shelf. It comes down you know, once every three years, so it's kind of out of the way now. Um, we do get rid of stuff. Um, typically, when we get rid of stuff, um, we pull anything that's useful. So if there's a decorative arm, a decorative back, or whatever, we have a, a shipping container at our shop we call the Fru Fru a Go-Go container, and it has all these like random <laughs> little pieces and parts in it. Um, and so... Um, uh, we save all that kind of stuff. Um, if there are pieces that were built more than 20, year, 20 years ago, we built everything out of plywood and painted it to look like nice wood. Um, we had a lumber store in town and we didn't have the internet. Um, uh, and so when we, that kind of stuff we don't put on stage anymore. Our quality has gone up. So uh, once a year at the high school Shakespeare competition, we have a prop sale and high school teachers snap up um, some of those things. But it it's hard to figure out, you know, what is useful because you get as rid of something. As soon as you get rid of it, you you're going to need it the next year. Like, oh, yeah. Man, why did we get rid of that last year? Yeah. So um, it's it's hard. We we do our best to have you know a representative variety of things so that it, you still have the options. They may not be the perfect option, but it's a good start kind of thing. So we have a lot of rustic benches. So eventually, you know, you decide, okay, these were built better than those that we built 20 years ago. So let's switch those out, kind of thing. But a lot of it, we just keep trying to find places to cram it in because, you know, you know you're going to need it. And it saves us a lot of money and a lot of time if we already have it. So What's the, what's the prop or, or props that get used the most, that get recycled into shows year after Fiddler. year? Trunks and benches. Yeah. Every year we use trunks and, and crates. Yes. I must have... 50, 60 crates, and we probably pull 20 every year, and then somehow we still have to build four or five every year. It's like, <laughs> I, have, I, have, I have 50 crate options. We really can't find one that's going to work. I'm like, no, it has to be like this, or it has to be textured in this. It's like, okay, Or fine. 50 people are going to jump up and down on it kind of thing. You yeah, know? but yeah. every year we use benches in the in the outdoor theater. Um, crates get used every year in different shows. Yeah, trunks. Trunks, a lot. Uh, weapons. I mean, every year we have weapons on in multiple shows. Um, those are probably the four things that, you know, every single year we dip into into that pile and somehow add to it every year as well. Um, even with a designer who comes back year after year, we had a designer for a number of years, Bill Forrester, who's doing our fall season this year. And it took him probably seven or eight years of designing here before we didn't have to build him a new bench. It's like, Bill, you've designed 20 benches. One of them. <laughs> like, you've designed them. I understand, like, a new designer coming in and, like, I don't want to use somebody else's bench. I want a new bench for myself, you know. But he'd been here. It was, like, eight years. I was like, Bill, I'm not building you another bench. We built you 20 benches. Pick one and we'll repaint it. <laughs> um, but uh, those are probably the four things that we – and we rent those, those things out all the time yes. as well. Yes. So who are, who are your rental clients? Some local theaters, like high schools. There's a community theater here in town, a couple theaters down in St. George. Um, but we do a lot of weddings. Hmm. Uh, a lot of weddings. We do a lot of high school dances. 
because we have enough stuff to make a theme. So one of the favorite themes in this area is a knight to remember, knight spelled K-N-I-G-H-T. Um, so all of our suits of armor go out and our thrones go out all the time. Um, we also do, around Christmas, we do Santa Santa chairs. Santa chair rentals, yeah. Santa needs a, a fancy chair. We have mm-hmm. lots of fancy it's, chairs for Santa. Yeah. But um, yeah, weddings. We do a lot of weddings. Benches we and do, floral. Yeah. We have We have a substantial amount of trees. Yeah. And so you've set up a couple trees, a couple benches, put some Christmas lights in them. Yep. Magic. Yep. <laughs> Instant magic. Yeah. And then lately, like the lantern string that's in Taming the Shrew, and we had a lantern string in Loves. Yeah. Those get used a lot because they're nice. The, the silk lanterns are really pretty, and they're already ready. You just have to plug them in kind of thing. And so that's a good yeah. – like, people like that kind of thing. It's quick and easy. Yeah. We do lots of – Probably, and, yeah. And luckily – Someone comes and, and rents from us and, and, you know, has a good experience. And then all of a sudden, you know, their three friends have daughters who are getting married. And so all of a sudden we're getting calls from them. So we have a lot of re- – we don't actually advertise that we do rentals. We have a lot of referrals. And we have some clients. Uh, there's a lady who does a uh, – her kids are not old enough to get married. But she started doing a, a book reading thing at South Elementary a number of years ago. And they sort of theme they, – the, the kids read like three or four books throughout the year. And so at the gym in the spring they do this like – day thing and you come in and all the books are sort of represented physically and you get to go and sort of meet the characters and things um and so we've been uh, renting to them now for six or seven years and she no longer runs it but she's passed on our name um and from that that event people alone, know her, her yes. yeah we've gotten a ton of referrals and stuff as well so. and then a couple of photographers too come in yeah. we have a couple of photographers that no, they need a chaise. We have a chaise that goes out a lot. <laughs> but yeah, we. I need a chaise or I need a bench or I need a something for this Photos vignette too. kind of yeah. thing. And so they come and get stuff. So we have prop seminars here that happen a couple times a week. Talk about those. Um, so on Mondays and Thursdays at 11, normally in the Randall, unless we're kicked out for an understudy rehearsal or something else. Um the patrons come in. It's free. Um, uh, it's one of our many sort of free experience offerings that we have. Um, and I just spend an hour. Uh, I have a, sort of a slideshow. Again, introduce my staff because all of them have, have left for the season. Um, and then we kind of just talk through the shows. And I have samples of things that we built or how we built things. I have a lot of construction photos. So you can kind of see the process of getting like the box piano or the piano forte, you know, from concept, design concept all the way through. And we talk a little bit about, you know, kind of the whole process here at the festival. Um, it's, it's, I think it's one of the cool features of the Utah Shakespeare Festival is we sort of take the veil off and let the audience in and say, you know, you know, uh, your ticket costs X number of dollars. And you don't really think about why that is. But here's some of the reasons why, you know. And part of it is the rep aspect, the amount of crew we need to make all that kind of stuff happen. But, you know, showing them the details of they don't think about the fact that, you know, we had a meeting and discussed the fact that in Amadeus, the king's chair is the only one with arms. And that was really important to the director. And so conceptually, we sort of had to go through and figure out, you know, what furniture we could use that represented the period, but that didn't have arms so that we could have that class distinction or... um, in the bed for Henry, there's a metal decorative panel across the top that actually ties into all the king portraits from last year. You know, and the color of the bed is similar. So it's almost like the bed is representing that Henry IV is going to become one of the portraits as we move through, you know. And that kind of stuff is discussed in meetings. You know, and the audience never gets that. So I get a chance to go, while you're watching the show, you should check out this. And this is something that we've thought a lot about. And you're just going, it looks really pretty. 
there's actually a tie-in to the concept of the show and things like that. So it's kind of a lifting the veil and kind of showing them some of the stuff it takes to, to make the magic happen, which they really appreciate. It's also pointing out that, you know, we're doing a show in the Victorian era. You don't just go to Home Depot or to Walmart and go to the Victorian aisle and pull those things off the shelf. Like, we have to find or create these things and making people realize that it's there's a lot more to it than just throwing some stuff on stage, that we put a lot of thought into it, there's reasons for everything, and that you know, we want them to feel that they're in the, the time. Right. So we hope we accomplish that. But it's, it's fun to point out those things to them because people, people, lots of light bulbs come on in the seminar. Right. Well, and if we're doing our jobs right, they shouldn't notice that. Like the seminar is the only way that we get to sort of say, hey, check out what we're doing. Because if we've done our jobs correctly, they should never walk out of the theater and go, oh, those props were so beautiful. Yeah. Or the scenery or the <laughs> costumes or even the acting. You know, the whole thing should come together in such a way that they're just like, they're moved by the experience, you know, by the story. And all of us should have contributed just the right amount to make that happen. You know, and they should never notice our stuff. So this is our chance to go, hey, notice our stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'd, I'd love to... Um... Wrap up by asking you what's in store as we move into a couple new spaces next season. Um, how does that how does that change your your worlds, I, or I does it? it? It does to an extent. I think the biggest change for us is going to be doing shows in the Ains uh, Studio Theater um, because it's a much more intimate space, and we're used to the Adams and the Randall, where the closest patron is you know ten feet away from what we're doing, um, and often more than that. So we can, we can cheat to a certain extent. We don't need to go to the nth uh, level of detail because we have that distance. Um, the studio theater is not going to give us that distance. We're going to have audience members sent, sitting a foot away from a prop. Um, and so the level of realism uh, and detail that needs to go into the pieces for that space um, is, is going to be challenging for us to wrap our heads around because at the same time we're working on those shows, we're still working on shows in the Randall and the New Ingolstadt, which we still have that distance. And so... Each prop is going to have to be like, what show is this for? What level? Because that extra detail takes time, and and time is a limited resource that we have. So, you know, those props need that extra detail. These other ones don't. Um, so that's going to be, I think, the biggest challenge for us is is adding that really intimate space, which will be cool. Um, there won't be a lot of scenery in there. So most of the shows will be told mostly with props, um, which also will be a change for us. Normally we have a lot of scenery that we're addressing and, and sort of adding to, and in there it's going to be more about our work and less about scenery because there's just not the space to put a lot of scenery in there, especially when we're doing in the round uh, next year. And there won't be a wall um, to say this is where you are. It'll be probably floor and platforming mostly, I would think. Um, so, yeah, that yeah. space I think is going to be the biggest challenge for our department. Um, uh, the Ingolstadt is very similar uh, in shape and feel to the, the Adams. Um, and so the, the, the quality of work and our work in there is not going to change a lot. And the same with the Randall. I think the, the studio theater is going to be our biggest challenge. We're going to lose change. a lot of our shorthand and our um, things that we know are true about the spaces. We're going to have to readjust to what the what what are the facts, what are the realities of the new spaces. Right. Just getting used to that. But yeah, the Ains will be the toughest one because it's something we haven't dealt with before at all, really. Yeah. Yeah. But the whole the whole thing will be will be interesting. The first season, I think, in particular, you know, they're telling us we'll get keys March first. And the amount of work we have to do between March 1st and early May when rehearsals begin, you know, there's probably five or six months of, of work for all the production departments, you know, testing sound systems and lighting systems and building scenic elements for the, the Ingolstadt and 
all those kinds of things that have to happen in a very short period of time so that we can go, okay, now we're ready to actually just do our season like we used like we're used to. You know, there's a whole new like new building stuff you have to deal with first. So I think next year will be a, an exciting and the schedule changing. Um, you know, opening five shows in early July and then immediately going back into tech into in the studio theater for two more shows that are going to open within the next month. That's going to change how we operate because right now my entire staff leaves. You know, the day we open our summer season, it's like, uh, no, I have two more shows that go into tech in a week. I need some people to stay and sort of adjusting all that is going to, it'll be a lot of sort of yeah. learning as we go planning. along. Planning. Lots of the planning is going to have to change and adjust and yeah. we're going to have to figure that out. It's going to be, there's going to be a learning curve. But it'll be cool. <laughs> it's exciting. Yeah. Lots of changes and hopefully expanding our season even more over the next couple of years. And Wonderful. So. Yeah. It is very exciting. Well, thanks a lot for coming in. It's really, really great to have you and get to talk some more. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Play On Podcast. Be sure to go back and listen to past interviews on the festival webpage. Check out the latest episode released every Friday with your favorite directors, actors, and designers from our 2015 season.